Hi, Melanie here from Aviation Tours, unique itineraries for aviation enthusiasts, taking you to some of the most amazing air shows and events in the UK and Australia. They're leisurely, comfortable, fun, escorted, and to all the places you've been wanting to visit. If independent travels out of your comfort zone, or you just prefer the good company of fellow enthusiasts, on a tour taking in the best aviation, motoring and military museums, take a look at our website, aviationtoursnz.com, for more info and join us on the trip of a lifetime. Or call me for a chat on 021 076 8308. Wings Over Britain is proudly supported by the New Zealand Bomber Command Association. Telling the stories of Bomber Command and the New Zealanders who served. Wings Over Britain and the Wings Over New Zealand show greatly acknowledges the fantastic support from Peter and Carola Wheeler of the Hauraki Brewing Company. And we'd like to acknowledge the awesome support from Mel and Kev Salisbury at Aviation Tours NZ. And a huge thanks to all the others out there who kindly supported the tour and the series. Without them, the series wouldn't have been made. Vintage Aviation News is pleased to support Wings Over Britain and Wings Over New Zealand. And we'll be checking in with reports as Dave's tour progresses. Vintage Aviation News is an organization founded by a group of passionate vintage aviation enthusiasts who love to share the history and technology aviation museums preserve for the public. It's our intention to play a role in safeguarding the heritage of these beautiful machines by providing increased awareness and education through the use of internet-based digital media. Vintage Aviation News is an online news resource dedicated to warbirds, aviation museums, vintage aviation, and aviation heritage, and the many enthusiasts who wish to know more about them. The goal of this site is to provide fresh, daily news content for a large community of aviation fans who visit our page regularly. Vintage Aviation News Online can be found on your usual social media channels and at VintageAviationNews.com. Welcome to the Wings Over New Zealand show with Dave Homewood. Welcome to Wings Over Britain on the Wings Over New Zealand show. I'm your host, Dave Homewood. Ten years ago to the day, the Wings Over New Zealand show presented its first international episode covering the commemorations marking the 70th anniversary of the Amiom Prison Raid, which included the Hamlin Mosquitoes from Numbers 487 New Zealand Squadron, 464 Squadron Royal Australian Air Force, and 21 Squadron RAF, attacking the Amiom Prison in France in an attempt to release resistance workers 
who were held there by the Gestapo. That episode covered ceremonies that were held in three countries, Britain, France, and here in New Zealand. You can still listen to it back in the archive, and it will be linked in the show page to this show. Two of the participants in that episode ten years ago were Dennis Sharp and Jim Cosgrove. And now, in this episode, I joined Dennis and Jim on the site of former RAF Hunsdon, which was the Royal Air Force Base where those mosquitoes took off from on that raid. It was the home to number 487 Squadron for a couple of months, and now it's mostly reverted back to countryside. But Dennis and Jim are custodians of that local history around RAF Hunsdon, and in this episode, they take me around the old base, show me what was left, what was there before, and tell me some of the stories of the old days. This episode has been released exactly 10 years after the last one, and exactly 80 years to the day since the army on prison raid. We remember those who were involved, and those who died, including Dick Sampson from my hometown here of Cambridge. Lest we forget. There is little things, I'll show you them. Uh, these are interesting to me. They're interesting to me, I think just up here, the better ones. Silly little things, but it's it's a connection with history. Yes. Oh, here we are. I'll just jump out for a second, David. Love this. So they've just laid all the concrete, put it through at the track. I'll keep you hooked up. Yeah. And somebody walks across in their hobnail boots, hobnails. Or? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you've got ordinary footprints. You've got Wellington boot footprints. Up here, I think there's a typical old Wellington boot. Where they're walking backwards and forwards between the contractor site and the airfield. Wow. I just think it's, it's just terrific, you know. Footprints from the past. Yeah, that's fantastic. <laughs> and there's even a set of bike tracks where somebody's rode a bike through it at one point. Okay. And I think you can see the line, look. Yep. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> somebody rode a but these are brilliant, the hobnail boots. <laughs> Brilliant. I'm walking around the perimeter track of Hunston with Dennis Sharp and joining us is Jim Cosgrove. Little things you find when you're walking the belt and you think to yourself, oh dear, you know, like... <laughs> yeah, that's that really, that's an imprint of history right there, it is, isn't it? Yeah, there's so many of them because they, they scatter this gravel over the top to try and protect the surface of it. Yep. They just literally got the airfield built. I mean, they started out thinking, hang on, it's not big enough, and they'll get in twin engine aircraft, you know, and we need to sort of extend, extend the runways. So, when, when this was first built, uh, being a, a satellite to North Weald, they were thinking Spitfires and Hurricanes, that sort of thing, weren't they? Well, yeah, I mean, the first aircraft in here were Hurricanes of uh, Free Squadron and um, 85 Squadron were here. Firstly, I think very briefly, I mean, I think they still have Defiance on um, okay. 
on the list. Okay. Um, but then they, they, they convert it to the Havocs. Right. Which could just about operate out of here. Yep. But um, it was realised when the airfield was built that it's going to need extending. So hence the pub came down and the Charing Cross extensions went on the ends of the runway to the, to the east and to the southwest. Yep. Uh, which uh, extended the length of the runway by sort of like another 250 yards, bringing it up. The main runway ended up as a, just, just on a mile long. Right. But it was a shame because there used to be one of the last remaining blister hangers, wasn't it? Just round by that group of trees. And that, that went down, when was that, 87 or something? Yeah, that storm, wasn't it? Storm. Yeah, the great, the great storm. To, yeah. Put pay to that. Um, that was one of the last blister hangers. There's 16 of those round, round the airfield. Okay. Over blisters, so they canvas ends to them, so they literally push an aircraft in and had this uh, weird sort of canvas curtain which run on tracks. Yep. But because the, the sides were straight down, but the, these the tracks were out from the end in a, in in like an angled manner, and the, the, they'd be just supported, you know, so just to yep. give a bit of depth to the. Also, from the air, they made them look like lumps rather than a defined structure right, as well. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. if the airfield ever came under attack. So, what 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 edge are we on here? Is this the north or the south? Uh, or? We're, we're on the uh, western edge of the airfield. The runway more or less runs uh, east to west. Okay. I think it's about 270 degrees or something, isn't it? So we're looking east, down, yeah, so down looking the runway. Due east, or due east from this point of view, yeah. You can see the work what went in, because the runway, if you look at them woods over there, there's a natural clearing. Yes. All the woods were taken out to right. form an approach to the runway. Yep. So, yep. So. Okay. But the Turkey Cock pub used to stand to the right of where that transformer is on the pole. Okay. In the field here. So imagine on takeoff, like it was coming dangerously close to the roof. Over the pub, yeah. So the pub was taken down um, in 1941, wasn't it? And it was relocated up in the village. Oh, they right. built a new pub with okay. the same name. Yep. Yeah. There's a photo of the airfield, and that's the main, isn't it? That's yeah. So we are. We're here, yeah. We're about there. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, we're about now. Okay. Yeah. God, it really is a big runway when you look at it. Yeah. Well, it's big enough for 30-odd for flying fortresses to land here coming back from a raid, and yeah. apparently they've landed in every direction under the sun down every runway. Yeah. Okay. And the odd thing is it's the dip, isn't it? Yeah. You just see it go over the hill and down the dip and then up down. again. It's, you'd think it'd just be dead flat, wouldn't you, yeah. runway? Yeah. These yeah. fields could tell. Yeah. I'm guessing those pylons weren't there. No, they, they weren't. No, there was power there's a uh, power station at, um, in Lee Valley at Hoddiston, yeah. Rye House. And that takes power now out to, um, I think these were put up in the 50s. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> they go out to um, Stocking Pelham to distribute electricity out. Because there was no power here when the RF came, and there's, there's no electric or running water in the village. Okay. It right. wasn't that never because they built the RAF station here, then things like water and, and electric became available, you see. Right. So the whole right. place had to be put on the grid. 
sewage works yeah. still there, aren't they? And working, still isn't it? Yeah. Used, yeah, they yeah. are, yeah. And they weren't put in until the RF got here. No, no. nothing was here. So you're right. looking at a, a village which was pretty much... Medieval. St st <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, to, to, to all intents and purposes, yeah. it was. Yeah. And I suppose this happened to so many airfields. All these airfields which were built for necessity only, you know, yeah. um, born out of agriculture. I mean, like, these places were taken. Um, the farmer probably sat here having his Sunday dinner and two people in suits turned up from the air ministry, knock on the door and yeah. say, you know, we've, you've, mm. got, you've got a week and a half to get out your farm because we're going to build an airfield here. Right, right. So as we're looking at it, it's a, it's a big, massive wheat field. And uh, would it have been growing wheat before the... Uh, no, I mean, traditional... Crops around here back in back in the nineteen thirties were peas. Oh right, but barley is a is a is a barley would be grown here yep. regularly because uh, this is barley country. Okay, because there's, there's several local towns which all had maltins, which made malt for the London breweries, and it's yep. taken down by barge to, by river. Um, but traditionally, most of the crops in this area during the nineteen thirties and forties were peas. Okay. Um, Peas and barley, obviously, but um, yeah. barley still exists as a crop round here, but peas, I haven't seen peas here since the 1960s now. Right, okay. There was a huge wood in the middle, like a triangular-shaped wood, all that was taken out, so it's pretty much a man-made landscape from how it was, yep. because just over in the trees behind here is a, a house called Hunsden House, which was built by Henry VIII. Okay. This was one of his hunting Right. Uh, grounds. Yeah, he yeah. had several of them ringed all the way around London. So if he wanted to come out of London and go hunting, he had his choice of different lodges he could go. Yeah. The farm still, the old farm, which is the airfield was based on, is still called Lodge Farm. You okay. know. Okay. So it's uh, huh. it was a hunting lodge, and timbers inside one of the medieval barns there are reputed to be from. It's got a, a preservation order on it now. So we can see them soon, but they're, they're, they're reputed to be timbers in there from, from that era. Okay. So the whole place was a hunting lodge, um, which he freely roamed. Uh, Queen Elizabeth I stayed briefly at Arneson yeah, House. So they say. So they say. Well, it was, yeah. she, she was recorded as being there, yeah, yeah. On, on several occasions. But, um, yeah, so it had its connections with former kings and whatever. Yeah. But it was just a nice, because it's a plateau, it's on two of the highest parts of land around. It, it does drain quite well. Yep. In actual fact, all the air ministry drains which are put across, if you walk across the fields at certain points, you can hear water rushing down underneath your feet, wow. where the, the, the old RAF drains are still draining into Fiddler's Brook. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so they still work. That's impressive. It does drain fairly well. Sawbridge of Airfield, which is only a few miles away is the same height as this but it doesn't drain it was always waterlogged wasn't it it's always full of water any structure they built what had a basement to it just flooded yeah. they built a battle headquarters there and i don't think it's ever been uh dry in its okay. life all right and i've only seen hansen's ones dry once because you haven't got to go very far although you want a, a plateau you haven't got to go very very far to the water table right but yep. it, it's at least drains well so the site was chosen from there as by, uh, I think it was chosen back in 1937 during the part of the expansion period, 36 when it was first surveyed as being an airfield. 
okay. or as a future airfield. Yes, yeah, as a potential site. A potential site. And because when North Wheel was coming under attack during the Battle of Britain, then they, they found, well, we've got to have a satellite. Um, so this was uh, built as um, Northfield's satellite. Okay. And a guy called Wing Commander Pike oversee it, uh, oversee the building. A lot of troubles, wasn't there, with the building? Yeah, the builders. Yeah, the builders. Certain <laughs> contracted companies uh, had to get in to do the buildings. The, air, um, the airfield was almost operational and there was nothing hard to hear. The buildings were up, but not fitted out. Yeah. Um, so far behind in the building program, they kicked one company off and got another company in to finish it off. Right. There was labour disputes with the Irish nav, nav what yeah. they call the navvies yeah. who, who built the site. Yeah. And it's reputed that somewhere around here is a pit full of pickaxes, shovels and tools because they used to, during the Blitz, and this place was being constructed during the Blitz, and they used to light big bonfires, didn't they? And, uh, and uh, <laughs> Okay. Because the Irish are sympathetic towards yeah, the yeah. Germans rather than us. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, they they, they, uh, they they went on strike. They buried all their equipment. And that's never been found. But one day, you know, if they do build on this place, uh, they're going to dig down in the ground and find a lot of pickaxes and shovels and forks <laughs> and God knows what. <laughs> Hopefully they never will. Hopefully they never will, no. Yeah. I Dave yesterday about the fuel tank. You know. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's a... Stop around and see them in a second. Demolition pots are still there laying in the hedgerow. Okay. The original gate would have been there, down the end. Remember that, Jim? Digging that... That stirrup pump up, that red painted stirrup mm. pump down in yeah, there yeah. where we thought it must have come from the guard else. So the main guard else would have been where that else is at the end. And then there was the main briefing room where the Amiens ray, the briefing took place for that mm -hmm. in there. Okay. Uh, there was emergency water supplies and one thing or another. And then, then you had the first of the aviation fuel stores was on the end here where there would have been another two houses. But right. Obviously, because of the uh, the fact that the old fuel tanks are still in the ground, they haven't built. The they houses. didn't build the houses. Yeah, no. Right. <laughs> so, unfortunately, that briefing room that you just mentioned is no longer there. No. It's, it's gone for the houses. So that's a shame. As a token, they built some new houses just up the end here, and they've, they've as a token of they call that Amiens Way. Okay. Or Amion's Close, isn't it, Jim? Amion's Close, it's called. Oh, okay. Yeah, as, as, a, as a nod. Yeah. You know? Yeah. We often wonder what it is with council, local councils, because, you know, you get an opportunity to name roads after people who served and lost their lives in places like yeah. this, and they go and name it after, a, 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 you know, a farm man from like the 1700s or something like that <laughs> yeah. rather than you know yeah. somebody whose name deserves to be mentioned well it's down to Jim Sterling work that we've got all the names of, well, pretty much have got all the names of the Hopefully. people yeah. yeah I was trying to find a photo of the uh, well known photo taken down there yeah we've, we've got one at the game we've with, got uh, one Basil Embry yeah, yeah Basil Embry yeah. um, well, standing the Bishop okay. even was here, wasn't he? Visited. Billy Bishop, yeah. Yeah, yeah he came down and visited in 85. Okay. 
there was a lot of photos taken at the time of 85 squadron because they were I mean, one of fought in the Battle of France, Battle of Britain, and now they have converted to night fighters. Yeah. And uh, this was their first official posting as a night fighter squadron, wasn't it? When it opened in May 1941. Mm. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. Well, the war really came to Hunsdon during the Battle of Britain. Uh, there was a, a, a raid by, um, I believe it was, was it KG-54, uh, to attack the Luton Truck Works yep. uh, for, for the Bedford Truck Company, which was at Luton. And the raid was taking place on that, and uh, one of the Heinkels was attacked and was chased by, um, I think it was one of the Rhodes-Morehouse brothers, yeah, wasn't it? Willie Rhodes-Morehouse. Willie Rhodes-Morehouse. And there's a church over the back, Gilson Church. You can't quite see it from here, but you normally see the spar sticking up. The yeah. trees are growing around it, hiding it from view at the moment. But um, the Heinkel came, was now at low level, smoking on fire, shot, shot the bits, and still these three hurricanes were behind it firing at it. Yeah. Uh, I had an old friend who used to live in a cottage over there who as a small kid during the Second World War, like, during the Battle of Britain, he, was, he, was, he said he was six years old. Yeah. Um, he went out, ran out and picked up all the spent cartridges which fell in the, in the little lane outside of his cottage because wow. they'd literally roared over the top of the church shooting yeah. at his heinkel. A heinkel came down roughly uh, a few hundred yards just across, well, a couple of hundred, three hundred yards across this field here by roughly where the, the intersection of the runways is now. Okay. Um, and at the time, people came running out to try and, you know, see what was going on. And yeah. uh, the Heinkel was in, in the field. The crew, the dead crew, were buried in St Dunstan's Church down on the road. They've now got mechanic. Um, but he, he actually took of um, the eagle and swastika badge off of a blue Luftwaffe shirt, yeah. which he found in the in the wreckage, and he he, he peeled his badge off. Still had it yeah. to this day. I mean, he's, he's unfortunately he's died now, and his widow must have it somewhere. Yeah. Um, part of that aircraft in the Imperial War Museum, isn't it? Yeah. Oh right. Yeah. The, 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 I, I saw that yesterday. Did you? Yeah. What, the Hunsdon piece, the piece of Heinkel oh, uh, 111. There's a tale of uh, Heinkel 111. Yeah. At, at Duxford. Oh yeah, that's the one. That's, that's come from. That came from one out of Storvetnik Lake. Oh, that's Norway. a different one then. Yeah, okay. different one. Yeah. Imperial War Museum at Lambeth have got um, a section of the Hunsdon Heinkel in it. Okay. In amongst their displays. Okay. It's. I think it's a squad like a squadron badge off the side of the cockpit, wasn't it? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Like it just shows like a Viking ship. Oh yeah. Okay. You know, with a red and white. Viking sails on it. Yeah. So that, I mean, at that time, all the land had been cleared to build Hunsdon, um, and they'd, they'd erected poles and everything across the flying site to, you know, stop um, any aircraft landing during yeah. the invasion. Yeah. Old scrap cars were dumped, at, you know, across the fields, and then in October 1940, work started in earnest in, you know, levelling and putting the infrastructure in the drains and everything else yeah. and then the airfield was built up in October 1940 and by opened on May the 4th didn't it yeah. okay. 1941 so it's just a short period to put an airfield into operation especially through the winter months yes. as well yeah definitely that's a merge photo I did 
there's the old photo. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's taken right down the end of that lane there. Yeah. So that, that big sign was up on the on the tree there. I think the tree's been cut down now. Yeah, isn't it? yeah. It's only the, only the stump of it now. Jerry Hell, but not the most. Yeah, that's it. Great. That's awesome. I might have to get you to send Yeah, I'll send them. Yeah, 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 send, yeah, send, send stuff to you, mate. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. That was my idea of a mosquito coming into land. Oh, yes. Yeah. Got it on my. I might buy the parachute stores, which you'll see when we drive yeah. around. Still yeah. there. Yeah. John Cunningham there, cat size Cunningham. Oh, yeah. He was standing in front of it. <laughs> he ended up with station commander, didn't he? Yeah. Okay. So when this crop is all cut, uh, you know, when when the growing season's over, does it look more like an airfield? Can oh, you, yeah. You, yeah. Can, can you actually sort of... You fly see up, the, if you, you go the for runway. a flight in the microlight out of here after the harvest, and yeah. especially once the stubble fields are gone and they've, uh, you know, started cultivating the ground for the next crop, yeah, all what's left is the track base, you know, and, and you fly over. And you actually see it, if you're flying from, if you're coming over where, about four miles away, and yeah. you about two and a half, three thousand feet, as you see this big plateau of land in front of you, yeah. and it just looks like an airfield still right. there, because right. you've still got the crop marks in the ground. You, yeah. you fly over it and you actually see where the old runways were. Okay. There's so much evidence in the ground. You've not only got the, the remaining strip, you've still you've got the indentation of where, and you can actually see where things were yeah. on, on, on the field. All the taxi around it. Yeah, things, yeah. Because yeah. uh, the original taxiway went across here, didn't it, Jim? Yeah, it went round and looped round yeah. and went back towards that tower over there, which is a control where the control tower was. Yeah. Um, so um, that came up. Um, they still left it in during the war, didn't they? Because just down here, in this section here, was the air Kelvin. This section down here was the uh, where the F upcraft wash was. The one I was telling you right, about, it's right. unusual to have an air, aircraft wash on an airfield. It's so, so muddy over here. You know, it's always mud, you know. Yeah, so, so tell me a little bit about that for the, for the recording, about the, the mud here. And, I mean, it, it doesn't look that bad, but was this like a bog? Uh, not so much as a bog. You've, you've got to remember it was agricultural land, which had been, you know, the only... The only decent surfaces were the, were the, were the flying, you know, the, uh, the, the runways and the perimeter track, the hard stands, everything else. A lot of trackways went to various buildings, so you had, you know, there's 442 buildings on this airfield. Wow. You know, so you, as you cast your eye around here, there was buildings everywhere. Wow. You know, you had, I mean, I, I could remember over there walking through in the 19, late 1960s and you could walk through buildings and it had like navigator's briefing room over yeah. the top of the door, airman's latrines and this duty pilot's office, stuff like that. Yeah. So between the trackways, there was just dirt path. So everyone walked across and you know, yeah. the mud was evident. But the mud got dragged up onto the taxiways and, you know, one thing or another. So it ended up as, a, you know, quite a muddy field. Yeah. Hence when Eric Atkins said to us about having to fly that sortie to um, Fetford, mm. 
they was asked tasked to um, fire a new type of twenty millimeter cannon ammunition at a tank on yeah. a firing range near Fetford. Yeah. And he said he flew up there, and they circled several times because the the channel they were supposed to communicate with the people on the ground at the firing range, nobody replied. Right. So they just stooged around three or four times. Thought, well, we've got to do something, and they'd done a low pass over some pretty high up looking uniforms. So they thought, well, these people must know what we're doing. And and one officer was seen to sort of like, you know, so they looked at, you know, okay, yeah. and they approached, keeping the, you know, the the, the assembled spectators out of the, the guns' way, and they. Committed ourselves to a shallow dive, and we've got the reticle, the gun sight, firmly on his tank, just about to press the cannon firing button, when the hatch flipped open on top of the tank and a head and shoulders appeared out of it. Wow. Eric immediately yanked back on the control column, um, but then the aircraft wouldn't respond from the attitude he'd put it in, and they had huge amounts of right rudder and and uh, throttling back one engine and advancing another they managed to crab their way along flying almost sideways but right. managed to keep it aimed wondering what the heck they're going to do and in front of them lucky enough was a big concrete runway which turned out to be Honington yep. airfield which was home to some P-51s of the United States 8th Airfield okay. unfortunately 8 of us said aircraft were committed to their takeoff run the opposite direction to where Eric was now approaching in to the runway, right. and, he, and his opinion was, he, he said, they're quite nimble aircraft, he said, because they scattered like pigeons as we disappeared down the runway. Yeah. They got it on the ground, kept it straight, ground looped off the end, came to a complete utter standstill, where a, a US officer started berating them for landing the wrong way, and, you know, goddamn limeys and yeah. all the other expletives being chucked. Then they realised that, the aircraft must have been in trouble, and Eric explained to him that mud, particularly small stones and mud, had dropped down in amongst the control runs from the cockpit floor. Yeah, because the airfield was so muddy. Yeah, and he said it was that that simple cause, which you know, the simple little thing like a stone, which blocked the control jammed, run jammed and up. jammed the stick. Wow, he couldn't move it. God. Imagine. It's only when the aircraft was on the ground, they could waggle it about and the stone dropped out and they'd got their flying controls yeah. back again. If they'd not managed to get any control and had crashed, they'd probably never have known what it had. No, no, probably not. Incredible. But it's just one of the hazards of that type of operational flying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's have a look at the dem dem demolition pots and the, the fuel stores. Yeah. Well, on this side. Yeah, yeah. Two, two, two 30-odd thousand gallon tanks. Okay. These weren't here, they put these in. Kiss, kissing dates, they call them. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and they grab the, uh, yeah. We've stood here on what was the pump house building, which is about 10 foot square. Actually, in fact, you've got 
shovel on here and cleared all this back, you find a lot more of it. Yeah. And this was where the bowsers would have come around here to fill up with fuel to go to the respective aircraft for refueling. So they did say they didn't believe that these tanks were still in the ground, so they, you know, they say they can't possibly be there. I said, well, if this, this, this is, is the developers yeah, who if, wanted to put if, the houses here. If this is here, the tanks are butted up to one another because the feed comes up from both tanks. Yep. So it's fairly obvious this is over the ends and if this foundation's still here, it's pretty sure the tanks are still there. Yeah, yeah. But they dug down a little way and said, we've dug down and there's nothing there. I said, you've got to go deeper. And they actually done a test dig the next day and they said, yes, they are there. Yep. And they actually got into the top of one uh, through a hatch and he said it reeked of aviation fuel. Right. So he said the cost, if you come across something like that, if you're building housing and the, the building regulations as they are, yeah. those tanks would have to come out of ground. Plus you've got to allow for any seepage from those tanks over the years, which means digging out hundreds of thousands of cubic meters of soil, right. which could be contaminated, yeah. which has got to be disposed of in a in a correct place. Yeah. You're looking at hundreds of thousands of pounds extra on the developer's costs. Yes. So it's best just to leave two or three houses off and just let sleeping dogs lie. Right. And which the history is, remains. And, and the tanks still remain yeah. in the ground to this day. Yeah. But there were, in the 1960s, the bomb disposal people came up, didn't they? And they'd done a big exercise. They was here for a few weeks clearing because like local school kids were pulling belts of 20mm cannon shells out of the pond at the end. Oh, wow. So they came up here and they, they, they cleared a lot of ordnance. But they found that each end of these tanks was a demolition pot. And it was a big concrete pipe section which was packed full of mortar bombs one of which had a fuse in it which went to a wire yeah. which would have been controlled from the battle headquarters the other side of the airfield which has got a prominent view over all of the airfield yeah. and if a germans because the threat of invasion had then passed but if 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 the airfield was attacked yeah. and these things are built in you know uh, as, as a a safeguard against any future invasion. Nobody was sure whether they'd try again in 1941, so yeah, yeah, these type of things were put in place to nullify uh, the benefits to the Germans if they did capture the airfield, yep. because they could blow the aviation fuels, denying the use of fuel or air aircraft to start yep. with. Yep. And that's why all the pillboxes, all the gun embrasures on the pillbox don't face outwards for defence, because the, the attack wouldn't come from outside. The Germans hadn't got a history of fighting their way into an airfield. They used to glide, use glider-borne troops, airborne troops, yeah. to actually land on the target yes. and, and and fight, you know, and take it from the inside out. So all right. the all the, the pillboxes, the big huge pillboxes, the embrasures actually point in towards the flying field, whereas a secondary ring of two or three which go around the outside which defended road junctions and that from the outside. That's so right. It covered okay. all the bases. Covered both bases, yeah. But the demolition pots and parts just at the end of the fence up there. I think we've got to go in the other way to get there, haven't we, Jim? I don't think we can get around that way, mate. I think we'd have to go through the undergrowth at the other end, I think. Well, Dave's legs. <laughs> <laughs> I've not seen you in a pair of long trousers yet, mate, so... No, I've only brought one with me. I've had to warn them. <laughs> Thank you.
Yeah, we're on. It's always best to come up in the winter to look at stuff up here, isn't it? So much more yeah. appears during the winter time. Yeah, all the foliage covers it, yeah, I guess. Yeah, it does. Think, Long grass. I think this is going to be one of those things that... Oh, God, we're going to get through there to get that for all the nettles. That park just inside that Hawthorne hedge, the other side. Okay. I can send you pictures of them. Yeah, yeah. 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 But uh, I don't think we're going to get in there to see them this time of year. They were literally parked in there where they was pulled out the ground by the Royal Engineers and dumped. Right. But they still contained all the mortar bombs, that's, that's the thing. Yeah, yeah, amazing. So w was this track the actual perimeter track? or is This, this a... became a service track. The perimeter track, as I said, used to go across there. Oh, yeah. So the aircraft wash would have been about here. Yeah. Uh, it naturally went around. We've got a picture of that 29 Squadron mosquito parked on the end there because yeah, you can see the farmhouse yeah, in the background, aren't you? Um, yeah. So this became like a service road. Um, and this was, this was a 1940, end of 1941's edition because obviously this track didn't exist, but the main perimeter track went along here. There were various huts and everything along this side. And where these new houses are built over the back, that was all full of huts and buildings and you right. know, various, you know, Workshops and Workshops yeah. and yeah, everything under the sun. I mean, yeah. everything was here on an airfield. You yeah, know. yeah. They'd have all the storerooms. And... Well, every dispersal area had a battery charging station. It had its own arm armory, you know, for 303 and 20 millimeter. Two examples of which still remain in the wood over the back area. We've got a 303 store and we've got a 20 millimeter cannon store, okay. a shell store. They're still there to look at. Um, but every dispersal had a certain group of buildings, so that was replicated. And there were several dispersal areas around. One being in that corner down there, in that field, yeah. along the back of those trees, there was a huge dispersal area around there. Yeah. There were dispersals uh, all, all around here that were pans, separate like big circular pans, yep. 60 foot in diameter, yeah. which were plonked around. I think it's 20, 28 of those, as well as 16 blister hangers and then you had about eight or nine uh, covered revetments and all sorts of okay. dispersal area was over on, on a lot on the corner by the farm there was one behind the, the, the farm in the field behind there there was another one at the end of black up wood over there and that went that was a huge dispersal went right around to where the new extension perimeter tracks went in yeah there was another big dispersal over at Tuck Spring Wood, wasn't there? Mm, uh, yeah, another big dispersal yeah. point here. So it was like a lot of concrete, a lot of concrete yeah. and a lot of taxing around, obviously, for whatever runway was in use that day. Right. right. Uh, okay. The the house is, is that the. Yeah, it's the farm mill. That's, yeah, that's, that's it. Drury Lane okay, farm mill. Right. So you see quite a lot of, of mud about. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that's even on the concrete. Puddles and stuff, yeah. Wow. No, that's a 29 squadron machine, isn't it, that one? I think so, yeah. yeah. It's got the, uh, the ugly nose on it, hasn't it? Has it? Yeah, bulbous. Oh, oh yeah, that's, that's not the Mark... Um, it's a... Mark 13. Mark 13, yeah. yeah. That's, that's oh, that was that first American AI, wasn't it? That, what the 13 was in. They had an American version of our AI. Mark yeah. 5 AI, I think. And then he had a night fighter 30s with a huge bulbous nose on them, which had got the later type mm. centric 
uh, radar in with the the nodding. Um, oh, what yeah. They call it? yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so this uh, this wash point for the aircraft. What, what was? How did they wash them? Was it just a high pressure just hose? Ho- well, I don't think it would be high pressure hoses, would it? It's just been buckets and yeah, I don't think then. pressure wash. No. Well, it wasn't nothing like a pressure wash yeah. in them days. And I wouldn't have thought the water pressure would be that great out the mains. Yeah. Not in them days either, because yeah. yeah. there wouldn't have been the pumping gear. Everything. We built water tanks on stilts, so you know everything was gravity, yeah. gravity fed from the nearest yeah. water supply. So they're probably just washing down and use a broom or something. Yeah, just to a broom and a brush off. and a, a yeah. hose. You know, you wow. know, clamp your finger over the entron, make the jet a bit. Uh, so it's yeah. pretty primitive, but it, yeah. an aircraft wash it was. I've heard of the aircraft having to be washed in the Pacific with the coral. Uh, uh, cross coral runways oh, right. that used to stick to the aircraft, and they actually had to use petrol to wash them off. Oh right, because nothing else would shift it, oh. and it, and it would build up just it would have the same effect as ice. Wow, you know, you, you, know yeah. you don't want ice on an aircraft. No. It's no. the same effect, so they used to have to wash them off yeah, the ground crew. And like, most people forget that because it's the old lowly ground crew that had to do that job. <laughs> yeah. <exactly. laughs> Imagine how much fuel they must have wasted. Well, I mean, used. yeah, I remember my dad telling me how he used to wash our uniforms in petrol. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He said, like, you know, and when they got so bad and they started rotting because, you know, rotted, then they got issued new uniforms. Yep. You know? I think this one was taken on the perimeter track over there. I think that's okay. the same aircraft from a different angle, yeah, isn't it? There's a blister right. thing in there. Yep. In the background. Yeah. So lots of vehicles inside it now. Yeah. Um, yeah, well, it could well be, couldn't it? It's probably just taken on the... Yeah. Well, I did go and match that photo up once, and I actually sort of like took a picture of, like, stood in the field and got yeah. that, that farmhouse in the background and yeah. sort of like thought, well, this must have been... Well, you can work it out where the perimeter track was during mm. the summertime where it ploughed, yeah. you know, with the bits of rubble in the ground, because you can, you can yeah. take it up, but it still leaves, you know, concrete... Small particles of concrete in the ground, which yeah. just show up as you know being a cause. Yeah. So once this became farmland again, the farmers gone around and pulled all that concrete out, so you can put more crop it, in. Or? It was quite, it was quite slow, wasn't it? Like because I'm, I, oh, I came yeah. here. I see. I used to go to school with a couple of boys from Armston. I lived at Ware, yeah. and. Uh, my mates come from here and you know just, we used to watch war films yeah. on the TV and every Sunday there was always a film on a Sunday afternoon and we'd get to school on Monday and say well do you see that film yeah, yeah you know and this particular day at 12 o'clock high was on the yeah. Sunday afternoon and I was enthralled because I thought wow you know this 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 old guy who comes back to the UK after the end of the Second World War and he buys a Toby jug which has got a lot of you know connections for him. Yeah. And he, he goes on this journey back on a train and a bike and stops his bike at the end of that on the fence, wasn't it, at the yeah. end. Climbs over the fence and all this slowly waving grass. Yeah. And he walks through this grass and then just walks out onto expanse of concrete, you know. And then the sounds and the, the feelings start coming back. And in the background, you've got this clank, clank of a big radial engine starting. Yeah. And then the next shot, all the, all the grass is being blown backwards by the slipstream from the propellers. And he's hearing all this in his head. 
And, and I said, oh, did you see that film? He said, yeah, yeah, I did. I said, I'd love to find an old airfield like that. He went, hm, got one in the village. <laughs> so I biked over here yeah. after school that day. Yeah. It was only six miles and I biked over here. And I think I come through that trackway there, what we just drove through, and yeah. I walked straight out on what was left of the main runway. And two thirds of it were complete. And the last third of it had been cut down to about 30, 30 foot wide. Okay. But it was full length. Wow. And then you had the secondary runway, which crossed it. That was all there, yeah. the whole lot. Um, the perimeter tracks were 40 foot wide. You could wow. walk around. There was buildings everywhere. And you could walk through these buildings and, you know, see these signs up. Yeah. And it was... And a place fascinating for men, 12 years old, and I think I've been here, I don't think it's been a week gone by and I haven't actually walked across here wow, okay. in the last, like, 60 odd years now, wow. right, you know. But so you know every inch of Jim, Jim's done the same. Yeah. You? But how, yeah, how did you get into I it, didn't Jim? get in, well, until about the 80s. I lived in Harlow, yeah. which is like two miles as a crow flies from yeah. my yeah. house. So, um, yeah, I come over here with a friend. We said it's different to walk from Eastwick. Come across all these concrete tracks. I thought, well, what's all this? Yeah. Oh, it used to be an airfield here. Just did there? Didn't have a clue. Okay. So, but by then, a lot of it had gone. Uh, I think the blister hangar was still there, but all the all the runways had been trimmed down by then. Yeah. So I'm quite jealous of Dennis seeing it, <laughs> seeing it as it was. Yeah. A bit older than you, mate. <laughs> Just a little bit. Yeah, yeah a little bit, but. I think a lot of it went for hardcore, didn't yeah. it? Yeah. Building perhaps they, on the, the motorway. The A414 took a fair chunk of the stuff in the late 60s. Yeah. I think they trimmed, the runways went down at about 20 foot wide. Okay. Um, with big sections, the, most of the perimeter track was cut down at about 20 foot. Uh, hard stands and everything else got ripped up, didn't they? And they yeah. all went in to provide hardcore. Right. For the A414, which was turned from a single carriageway into a dual carriageway. Yeah. And then again, at the same time, you had a big building works, didn't you, for the A10, where they the A10 used to run through the town of Ware. Now they started yeah. crossing the, the valley and they, they built a dual carriageway road with a viaduct right across the valley. And a lot of the concrete went into the A10 as well. Yeah. And I think that's what see the rest of it off in the in the mid 70s wasn't it and yeah. you know when the, the airfield was built they used rubble from the blitz oh okay hardcore so, so it's, it's, it's been, been recycled, recycled twice yeah. yeah isn't it amazing yeah. so someday someone's going to cut up those uh those roads that you just mentioned and, and they'll be used somewhere else yeah will, yeah. <laughs> yeah if petrol's yeah. still available yeah. and if we're not we've all got flying cars flying. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But so, it's, it's, yeah. I was going to say, you guys started an um, actual association here, didn't you? But... Well, it was. Um, I'd, I'd started putting together a, a very early website, didn't I, about mm. the airfield. And I thought, well, you know, I took, well, come around and took a few photos. And they weren't very good photos. And yeah. I took a few photos and I wrote a little bit about what I knew then, you know. As, and... There was something taking place. I don't know how I heard of it, but somebody wanted to run some. I think wasn't it for the uh, the sixty fifth anniversary of the Amiens raid? Was it Mick Dent and everything wanted to do something? Oh, I'm not getting this yeah. wrong. No, that was, 
Yeah, 65th would have been only a few years ago, wouldn't it? Yeah. Um, I don't know, I remember you had, a, you had a guest book on your website. That's right. And, um, I think Mick, one of our members, he, he put down, it'd be nice to see a memorial here. So yeah. I, I put a message on, yeah, it'd be great to see a memorial. Yeah. We all decided to meet yeah, we up, met didn't up, we? Didn't we? Yeah, that's right. We've done a vehicle run up and down the, yeah. for, for some occasion. I know it was for some occasion we done a... They brought a load of old military vehicles over and yeah. they just run around the perimeter track and up down a runway. Yeah, and I think... And Mick, we all sat in a pub, didn't we, Arthur? And yeah. Mick knew Steve and John, who were yeah. builders, so they all came along. Yeah. And there's uh, John Knight as well, John wasn't Knight, yeah. I think he... Was he a builder? I'm not sure No, he, he was. No, but he'd got a great interest great in interest. sword affair, yeah. him, hadn't he? Yeah, so we all um, got together and thought, you know, we'll see what we can do. Yeah, so, okay. Yeah, we yeah. called ourselves the Huns and Airfield Memorial Group yeah. to yeah. start with, HAMG. But after after we successfully built the memorial in 2005, we went on in 2006 to do another memorial yeah. at Sawbridge of Airfield. So this was two airfields we've done. So right. We sort of like just changed the name to this Hertfordshire Airfields Memorial Group, which right. we've been ever since. And we've lost a couple of people along the way, and you know, everyone's getting older now. And I think Jim and I are probably the only active ones out of the two. But yeah. I mean, Jim more so than me, probably, because Jim is a resident ferret who can find <laughs> information from under a stone. Yeah. You know, and, and I, I, I greatly admire what Jim has put in because like, he got all this information, and he, he didn't. He, well, he just started yeah. and collecting information about it, yeah. the aircrew who were lost flying from here. Yeah, yeah. mostly yeah. on the internet. You know, yeah, so much information on that. It, it is amazing what you can find these yeah. days on the internet. But obviously, we also we went to the RF Museum, yeah. the National Archives. Quite a lot of stuff yeah, there. Started researching stuff, and but then it come to a point where Jim and I were in conversation one night, and it? it's like, you know, what are we going to do with all this? Yeah. You know, we'd already built a memorial. We didn't ever envisage doing another one, not yeah. in the same place. Yeah. We just thought we we built a memorial, then we thought, well, who were the men who who died flying from it? That's when we started. Started right. research. Right. Found 126 names. Yeah, 125 when the plaque went for the commission, and about two days after it was, yeah, it was made, we one. found 126. Another one from the RF regiment. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. If we find any more, we'll we'll add them on somehow. Yeah, we'll add them on, yeah, underneath. But we did. It was it was one of those like moments where we, Jim was in possession of all this information, and there's. No suitable place to put it. We, we did toy with the idea of having it printed up in a book of some sort mm. or, or making some sort of little roll of honour to go in the local church. But, I mean, church services are few and far between now and nobody would ever see it. And yeah. then we thought, well, let's, let's wonder what it would cost to put it on a plaque. Mm. And we'd already raised thousands to put the original memorial in. Yeah, we had a which, lottery grant. Yeah. About four thousand, something mm. like that, wasn't it? We did uh, talk nights in the village hall. Yeah, um, there's several notable people had spoken, didn't they? Yeah, we had, we had um, uh, Tom Bennett, 
who was uh, with 617. Navigator leader yeah. on Mosquitoes. Okay. He flew on the Tirpitz right? Yeah. Okay. His association with Anderson was funny, wasn't it? Because they, they was... They wanted to go to London. So they took her to Lancaster on an air test. And they tried to get in at North Weald. And they fired very flares at them to say, go away. <laughs> so they circled round and they see the other airfield, the uh, Northfield satellite, Hunsden. Yeah. And they just collected the land here, which they did. And he said they begged for and stole a, a lift down to St Margaret's where they all piled on a train just down the road and went into London, had a great night in London. Yeah. And rung our station saying that you know they'd got a fault with the aircraft, and <laughs> and then they 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 turned up back up again the next day and and got in their Lancaster and took off and flew back to Lincolnshire. So he said like it's uh, you get away with murder in them days. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So yeah, we had you know we raised oh, I can't, offhand. I can't think of the exactly, but it was it was around yeah. about. Nine thousand yeah, pounds okay. for the original memorial, yeah. and now we're looking at doing something else. And it was putting all Jim's hard-earned work into something more beneficial than a, a, a printed book or a you know a wooden plaque with some names on it. So yeah. we came, you know, we, we decided to go ahead with a, what we called our roll of honour, wasn't it? Mm. And it was um, a huge piece of Indian, black Indian granite yeah. with all the names engraved in and then finished with gold plate. The plaque cost um, three and three and a half thousand yeah, pounds that, just for yeah. the granite alone. Wow. Then we had to build something to house it. Yeah. We couldn't build it here on site, so we built it away and we had to we cast this thing in um, out of solid concrete, like a big wedge shape with a recess exactly the same diameter and thickness of, as this big plaque, yeah. with a load of um, industrial uh, resin adhesive literally sprayed on behind, and we all picked this thing up and very carefully, very carefully just edged it into, <laughs> and it actually fitted perfectly. You know, it was a millimetre gap all round, Perfect. and it just went in, sealed, and that's there to this day. But it's, it's next to the... The actual main memorial itself right. and there's so many people come here so yeah. many people have been to visit excellent and which is what we wanted to do we yeah. there's a lot of memorials and there's a lot of people who will put their names on memorials uh, i can think of one certain scottish gentleman who insists on plonking one of his stones on every airfield in the country yeah. with his name in huge letters on it and this was a site of you know um, insert whatever airfield he was going to plonk it on yeah but we think that memorial building is more of a personal thing yeah that's why jim and i went to such great pains to try and for the day wasn't it for the actual first memorial day and and the second one for the roll of honor well we just mm. we we just scoured everywhere didn't we we wrote letters we phoned people we got yeah. got the interest and we involved the local community yeah. so much so that of 126 names on the day, when we had 126 school children, didn't we? Each with a little wooden cross, right. each bearing the name of one of the lost airmen. Yeah. 
and as as a memorial and a wreath were laid, so these children filed on, and they all pushed their little wooden cross into the ground around it. Yeah, and it was it was just nice to incorporate those young kids. Yeah, and the community and the people who served there all, all together. That's what memorial making is about, not a exactly. faceless stone. Exactly. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's got mm. blood, sweat, and tears in it. Yeah. Really. Yeah. A lot of veterans as well came, especially yeah. for the first one. Yeah. I'm sure there must be a number of New Zealand names on that list as well. There is, yeah. yeah. There's, there's nine, nine? Okay. nine on, the, on the plaque, yeah. Do you ever get many New Zealanders coming and visiting? We haven't had any yet. Only me. Yeah, you, <laughs> first yeah. one, yeah. We've okay. had an Australian, Canadians. Yeah. Well, as far um, as we know, anyway. We yeah, as far as we know. We're not yeah, here all the time, you know. Yeah, of course, yeah, yeah. People find it and we've publicised it well. People know how to get it on here and yeah. find it. So, as well, I mean, the people, the lads at the flying club here all the time, they often say that, you know, they're, They'll see a group of people pull up in a car and they get out and they walk there and they sit and they look and they walk around it and they take it in, they take photographs and they, yeah. they go. We don't know who these people are, but yeah. they've travelled here purposely to find this, where a relative flew from, yep. may not have died here, but he served here, perhaps they want to come and see it. Yeah. We just don't know. But There wasn't a lot of New Zealand lads served here. Yeah. yeah, yeah. tell me about the New Zealand connection here, because uh, obviously 487 New Zealand Squadron was based here for a wee while, mm. and also I found out last night looking at your stuff on your computer, uh, Dennis, that 488 Squadron had a short yeah, stint here as well, yeah. Which I didn't, yeah. just before they went off to France. Mm. So. I think they transited, I don't know where they was, I haven't looked it up, but I mean, uh, they, they must have flown in, because they was on their way to, to an airfield, a newly captured airfield in France. Yeah. So they they probably just transited through here and yeah. stayed here, topped off with fuel, air crews, everything was fed, and the uh, next day or a couple of three days later they they took off yep. out of France. Yeah. And carried on operations from over there. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm not even sure what they were flying at the time. I, I, I haven't gone into that. Section, I think they yeah. were mosquitoes. Well, what been, mosquitoes. It was definitely yeah. mosquitoes. Yeah. Okay. They were a night fighter mosquito unit for the last couple of years of the war, really. So. Right. Um, well, that answers that then. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Yeah, um, the number three squadron over here with Hurricanes yeah. they had quite a few New Zealand. I seem to recall that uh, Harvey Sweetman was um, their uh, CO for a while, but I don't know if he was CO here. Um, I think Digger Aitken. Okay. He was CO here. Okay. So um, it was probably before Harvey. Um, yeah, those are a few. Uh, Eddie Berry. Uh, Gay A couple of those were lost on the um, Dieppe raid. Okay. When the, the squadron moved out here, down to Shoreham for two weeks. Uh, yep. Yeah, a couple of them were killed on that raid. Okay. Uh -huh. Sergeant McVeigh. Yeah, John McVeigh. Yeah. Uh, Doug, Doug McVeigh, as it was called. Yeah. Yep. Uh, he'd only been here a few weeks. Um, he had come in back from a convoy patrol. This was in December, early December, 41. Yeah. Um, no, it was... Yeah, the snow showers, it's dark, poor visibility. And on the way back, he's coming down low and he clipped a tree. Um, it's near Epping, wasn't it? Mm. Fornwood. And um, went in. 
Um, there was an interesting thing about that, that it highlighted how woefully inadequate night flying practice was amongst a lot of the, the crews, because Free Squadron was starting to do a lot of intruder work yeah. with black painted hurricanes, long range tanks going into France and just attacking rail targets and the beach defences and bits and pieces. Yeah. Um, and it just seems woefully adequate that a lot of the pilots haven't got that great deal of night flying experience. So his crash actually highlighted that. And I think a, 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 from that time, our, the squadron commander decided that, you know, it wasn't going to lose any more right. airmen on pointless raids abroad in, at night if they hadn't got the experience. So okay. an intensive night flying program was... Um, put into operation where all the crews benefited from, uh, all the air crew benefited from, you know, extra flying hours at night. Right. Hopefully to alleviate problems, but you're going to have accidents, whatever happens, you know, it's going to be accidents, but unfortunately, yeah. like, this fella, he's travelled all the way from New Zealand, you know, yeah. and loses his life on a, something so mundane as returning to base in rubbish weather and clipping a tree. Yeah. You know, yeah, probably having to hug the ground because of like Low visibility. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Mm. Um, and four eight seven. When did they get here? Four eight seven came in um, early January. Of, they moved in from Skullthorpe. Yeah, I think the last last day of December forty three. Yeah, yeah. December. Right. Yeah, I mean they went op yeah. operational on the first of January down as being operational. So right. it was probably end of December when they moved in. Yeah, yeah. It's together with um, four six four squadron and twenty one. Yeah, part of the one forty wing. Yeah, well they formed one forty wing, wasn't it? It's just a tactical, the second tactical air force. But yeah. Prior to that, they was in two group RAF flying Venturas. Mm. Uh, mostly from bases around Norfolk and Ventura as Picard wasn't exactly endeared with the aircraft and described it as a flying turnip <laughs> um, he, they converted on some mosquitoes when Basil Embry after the disastrous raid on, uh, on the power station in Amsterdam um, which 487 and were involved with and they lost uh, 10 out of 12 crews, I mean, one return to the airfield. Um, the actual, uh, I think the squadron commander, and I can't remember his name offhand because my memory is so bad, but he was captured. And he actually was one of the last survivors of the Great Escape. That's uh, Leonard Trent. Yeah, Leonard uh, Trent. He's given a Victoria right. Cross. Victoria for, Cross. For right. pressing on on that for attack. Pre yeah, he did actually. Well, I think he was the only aircraft that actually successfully his bombs, yeah. bombed, dropped his bombs and got shot down in the process yeah. and ended up as a POW yeah they by that time the Ventura Basil Embry was pressing to get rid of the Venturas and he was pressing for mosquitoes and they did eventually convert onto mosquitoes which was sad really because they lost so many air gunners which right. were surplus to requirements right so uh, a, a good a good third of the squadron was you know, posted out and onto other squadrons, I suppose, to make up the shortfall in air gunners and for, for some of the heavier, heavy bomber squadrons. Yeah. But 
they they went for an intensive training program of 487 and 464 first com committed to um training on mosquitoes at Skullfort. Yeah. And 21 followed. I think 487 were the first squadron to operate mosquitoes. 464 followed and 21 followed later. Um, and it was at that time when Picard was um, station commander at Lissit where he first got his hands on a mosquito and fell in love with it. Okay. Um, and Basil Embry, when Basil Embry wanted him to uh, be involved with the formation of 140 wing, knew that everyone else had gone through their training program. Pickard hadn't, so he made Pickard attend the conversion course, which he completed fully at Skullport before he, he was allowed loose on okay. mosquitoes on his own. Yeah. So the whole wing flew in here, in, like Jim says, at the very last knockings of uh, of 43 and yeah. took up residence in the operational records book for both squadrons 487 and 464 had done uh, intruder operations to airfields in of Belgium and Holland yeah. um, the weather then wasn't kind um, at, at midway through February but Working up through January, they was attacking tar military targets along the French coast. Uh, that was the general nature of their work. And then out of the blue, they get detailed for uh, you know, Ramrod 564, which uh, was to be known as the Amiens Raid. Mm -hmm. um, that weather was so bad here, wasn't it? They had the entire station was given shovels. Wow. to clear the snow off the runways. Because this operation was pending, it was in the books. And if you read books, there's a, a lot of, um, let's say, storytelling by the Royal Air Force in the early days about exactly what happened around the raid. Yeah. Uh, nobody knows who authorised it. Nobody, uh, those documents are missing from Q. Right. Uh, they're just non-existent. You've got the answer to a letter from Basil Embry back to whoever wrote the, the letter, but the, they've been censored out the address it was going to and who it was. Gosh. Um, so this special operation was in the pending, but the weather here clamped down and, and uh, snow fell, and it fell, and it fell, and it fell, and it, it, there was no flying for four consecutive days. Uh, I think on the 16th, they cleared the runway by hand, the entire length of the main runway, wow. over a mile of it, yeah. with everybody involved. WAFs, cooks, drivers, your ground crew, air crew. Yeah. Everybody was shoveling to keep the runway clear. And bearing in mind, you said earlier that the runway was 150 feet wide. Really. Mm. So that's a, that's a huge amount of area. Yeah, 150 foot wide yeah. and, and, you know, a mile long, yeah. for all intents and purposes. Wow. Um, and because like, the taxiways had to be cleared, because it's no good having a runway open, if you, you know, so all the taxiways had to be cleared. Yeah. And they're 40 foot wide, go the entire, that's three and a half miles around the airfield if you walk around it, you know. It's like, wow. <laughs> <laughs> so there's a lot of concrete to be shifted by broom and, and shovel. Uh, and eventually on the 18th, the weather was, was a window, Snow was still falling, but 
the raid went out on the 18th of February. Yeah. Um, but as like any other airfield, Manston, the um, station commander at Manston um, forbade anybody to take off, which put um, a squadron of typhoons out of commission. Uh, but four, six aircraft got away, typhoons got away from um, uh, Manston in 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 the, in the snowy conditions. Three immediately landed within uh, 15 minutes. Uh, sorry, four immediately landed within 15 minutes, and another another two actually flew out um, and took part as best they could. Well, I think they arrived over the target area, Amiens, but the raid was over. Right. You know, and everything was leaving. Yeah. So they just got to the target area and and flew back, but then immediately lost contact with the aircraft in the, the weather conditions and returns returned to Manston. Um, Didn't one of those crash as well? Yes, yes. I, I, off and I can't think of a, you know yeah. the names because my memory's getting bad. Yeah. Um, there was um, two aircraft uh, lost on two typhoons lost um west hampton managed to put up um most of the, the aircraft designated as an escort yeah and of course hannafin uh had to turn back because of engine trouble and i think he landed uh on the south coast somewhere and the rest of the mosquitoes went on onto the, on onto the, the prison um Barely keeping formation, but the operation as it was planned was a huge success, but only down to the valour and the professionalism of the aircrew taking part, I think. Yeah. I'm thinking about that, that just the dates. They'd been on Venturas, but most of that, that crew had been, most of that squadron had been wiped out, so there'd be replacements. They went on to the Mosquitoes, they did the conversion, and then they had like a month of operations or a month and a half of operations. Mm. And then some downtime not flying because of the weather. They wouldn't have been that experienced, uh, some of those pilots, I don't think. Uh, well, when when you look at... Um, my, my take on it is if you've got a certain amount of aircraft on a squadron, you've got a certain amount of air crew. So, I mean, people did rotate. I mean, certain mm. crews yeah. stood down. So, I mean, the squadron, although it lost a good part of its operational aircraft and, and a lot of its good crews, there was still a quite a nucleus of crews what obviously weren't on the raid. Yes, of course, yeah. Uh, so they would, you know, there to pick up the, the, uh, the squadron and receive its new intake of replacements and carry on, yeah. rebuild itself up. But coming here with Hunsdon, both... 487, 464 and 20 and, and 21 they was involved in it was low level work right. so, so they, they were become, doing that they, yeah they had they had a good month of uh, honing and, and if you read the operational records book you know the amount of targets they was out attacking yeah, every a, day quite a lot yeah. of uh, V1 sites as oh, well okay. yeah. yeah and this was sort of six months before the V1s were even launched. Yes, right. So yeah, they were, they was, aware yeah. of what was going on. Right. If you look at the operational records book, it says uh, attacking construction sites in northern France. Right. So this is where these ski sites or ski ramps were being built for the yeah. V1s. Um, 
So actually to those crews, this was just another raid and they didn't know really what no. what the target no, was no. and the fact that there was all those resistance. None of them and... actually knew until the, 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 the morning they sat in the briefing. Yeah. And that was the first they knew of the nature of it because nobody, nobody knew. Yeah. Nobody knew what was going on. The only ones who knew was, I believe Pickard was in on it with, with Embry, but they were sworn to secret. Yeah. Embry couldn't, wanted a lead, but couldn't because of his exploits of escaping the clutches of the Germans in his uh, in, in France. Yep. He was, and because of his high rank, he was, uh, you know, deemed not to go on operational flights, but, but he did do. Yep. He flew under a non-diploma wing commander Smith on yep. several occasions, and he was always one of those upfront commanders who, who led from the front and who... You know, he was very charismatic, but he was a, a real stubborn man as well by yep. nature. Um, but passing things on to Pickard, Pickard was an entirely different kettle of fish because he'd had this long service history with Bomber Command. Yeah. Everyone knows him from the film Target for a night. Yeah. Um, but he was with 7 Squadron, he was with 99 Squadron at Newmarket Heath. He was with uh, seven squadrons shortly. He was with nine squadron. Uh, he'd done a, a huge tour with those on Wellingtons before being screened off of operations where he then went instructing and he brought, um, I believe it was 311 Czechoslovakian um, flying Wellingtons. He, he, he taught them the art of night bombing. Okay. From the front, so much so that uh, they awarded him the Czechoslovakian Medal of Honor, okay. um, and he greatly admired the Czechs, didn't he? Yeah, he was part of the Brunevel raid. Yeah, but that, well, yeah with oh, 51 yeah. Squadron Whitley's. After that, after his instructor course, yeah, he went on to yeah. went on to um, command 51 Squadron in the Bruneval raid, which was yeah. the raid to capture. French Wurzburg radar yeah. components yeah, from yeah. under the Germans' noses. Yeah. And he developed this love of um, paratroopers' smocks from that raid because like, he was talking to a paratrooper who apparently told him that, oh, these are great, they're light, they're windproof, they keep you warm, but they're not bulky. And he found wearing one of those in the cockpit of a mosquito. Oh. And from that day on, his normal attire, you'd see him with his pipe clamps in his mouth, with his para British paratroopers smock and a, a May West over the top. Okay, I never knew that. <laughs> and uh, he, he, that was his favourite bit of flying kit. And he, and that's what he, he flew in and he was wearing that on, on the Amiens raid. Nice. Um, yeah, he'd it, 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 it picked up a lot of experience. He not only after 51 Squadron of Bruneval, he went on to become. Um, with uh, the SOE flight at Tempsford, yeah, uh, where he flew Lysanders oh, yeah. and Hudsons on deep range um, drops, dropping agents or ferrying agents to France, yeah. landing in various fields by the guise of free cycle lamps, which would be show a, a rough runway from the air and he would land on those and then one that night he was taking i believe five um, agents to down near leon and he landed the hudson in the field and it got bogged down 
they couldn't turn, get the aircraft out of the mud, they had to turn it around by hand, all yeah. the resistance workers trying to help turn the aircraft around, but it was bogged down, and then one of the villagers went off and come back with a couple of ox, <laughs> and they tied them to the aircraft, and they managed to pull it out, but by now it's getting light. Oh, wow. He's on the ground in occupied France, with German troops all over the place, and yeah. that's... Uh, still at dawn and the, the light now breaking over the countryside, they managed to get this aircraft turned around and he took off and he landed back at Tangmere or Ford, I can't remember what one it was, Tangmere or Ford. And so, you know, short of fuel and well over time, everyone thought he was missing, you know. Wow. But he, he got back and so the, the man's experience and as a commander, I think as a leader, he was so well-liked, wasn't he? So well liked by his men. He was a gentle giant. Yeah, absolutely lovely bloke. Apparently, but I mean, a lot of people had great admiration. I was sort of, but my boyhood hero has been always will be. Yeah. He's, uh, you know, then went on, like I say, station commander at Lisset, and then picked out, and ends up in command of 140 wing. Right. His uh, granddaughter Nicole lives in. South Africa. She, she came over a few years ago. Mm. We showed her around. And she she managed to get a flight from here. Okay. The micro light. So oh, wow. She was quite thrilled to you know Fly take from off from the same place her grandfather did. Yeah. How good is that? Yeah. Happy memories of that. Yeah. And hopefully she'll be back. And so the actual raid itself. Take take, take us through that. The the Amiens raid. Um. Right, yeah, so obviously, like I say, we can't say too much about the planning because nobody really knows for sure who organised it. Um, the idea was that the role of honour, if you like, would go to the New Zealand crews. Um, and and uh, in at the front was uh, one of the ones at the front was Maxi Sparks with his navigator Cecil Dunlop. Um, they was, their bombs landed squarely on the prison outer wall. Uh, there's a famous painting showing the aircraft climbing away um, with the brick dust as, as the only forms of showing that something had hit because okay. these bombs are fitted with 11 second delays. Oh, yeah. So they didn't hurt following aircraft, so two aircraft would follow, probably follow one another in, but knowing full well they got 11 seconds before yeah. they detonated. So everything had to be planned. But the raid itself, um, from here, out to the, out to the southwest, uh, down to the south coast near Chichester, across, uh, across the French coast. And they flew north of Amiens in a, in a straight line and they flew almost up level with the old uh, town of um, Albert mm -hmm. and that lays itself on a on a, an old Roman road which runs to Amiens. The prison was on the right hand side just outside Amiens itself. Yeah. It stood out like a sore thumb with its uh, perimeter wall and its main building. But these bombs had to be dropped at low level. Um, an added benefit was a snow lane on the ground because it enabled crews to actually drop from such low level that the 
the aircraft are skidding on the snow before making contact with the walls and, right. and, and doing their work. The, the bomb, the bomb was skidding. Yeah, the bomb was actually yeah. skipping across the you know the frozen ground and the snow and the ice and yeah. you know. One or two bombs did go astray. I mean, one apparently went straight down the main road and through a, a French lady's cottage through one side and out the other without actually detonating. <laughs> so she she was very lucky. But um, all all every bomb was put where it was intended to go. Yeah. You know, just blow holes in the main perimeter wall and then actually hit the prison itself. So four six four and four eight seven were given the task of actually dealing with the walls. Um, 21 Squadron was held in reserve and the idea was that Picard would call 21 Squadron in if not enough damage had been done. Mm -hmm. And according to what's written, they would have been tasked with actually flattening the prison if all else had failed. Right. Because somewhere in that prison was two people who knew something about the plans for D-Day. Right. There are, you know... Rumours about who it was, a couple of names come to the surface quite a lot. Um, one was, I believe, known to be a double agent, or subsequently, I believe he was hung at the end of the war for being a double agent. Okay. Whether the raid was all part of Operation 42, which is the deception of you know, the Allies' plans to land in uh, Normandy, but give the impression that we were going to attack through the Pays de Calais. Yeah. Um, Rommel happened to be in the area at the time inspecting defences. So, you know, there's that little room has been thrown into the mix as well. Okay. But the raid itself, they, they turned out bare and run straight down this road with an avenue of trees on either side. And at some points, they was below the trees. They was down to 30, 40 feet wow. down that road. And that was the precision they went in to bomb from. And the idea was each aircraft would bomb and exit the area. So you don't want a load of aircraft milling a belt. As you bomb, you exit it. Um, Pickard was leading, I mean, he was flying his famous F for Freddy, which he'd been given by 487 as an aircraft because of the film. Yep. F for Freddy, yep. target for tonight. So when he, 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 he was obviously commander of the wing, but the New Zealand donated their F for Freddy to him for operations, which he flew yeah. with his navigator Brawley, Alan Brawley. Um, by this time, most of the damage had been done to the prison. Prisoners were seen escaping. Picard was running in with the remainder of the first wave, or the second wave, sorry, because he led from the second wave. Um, by that time, Fockwolf uh, 190s from nearby. Amiens Gleesey airfield. And one in particular, Lieutenant Mayer, who was quite an ace. Um, at first, uh, it was believed that they didn't really take a lot of notice of the Fockwolf 190s because of the, 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 the part of the escort which did actually manage to meet up and not get lost in the snow clouds on the way was with them and zigzagging through backwards and forwards through the formation. But it Pickard must have realised that what he was seeing coming at him was a, a Fock Wolf 190 and he turned off towards the northeast, towards a little village called Etienne. Mm -hmm. It's widely believed that he may have been trying to draw the aircraft away from the other aircraft that were behind him, yeah. um, being a sort of selfless 
man with he was. Yeah. And Mayer got on his tail, had several bursts at him. Picard jettisoned his bombs. Uh, I think some, a couple of uh, his bombs were found in the field, uh, dropped. Uh, well, they didn't explode and uh, they probably dropped safe and uh, jettisoned his bombs. By that time, Mayer had, was on him and severed the tail of the mosquito, which went in at, uh, at St. Etienne. Okay. The rest of the raid progressed, but there was no leader now. So now it is down to... Pigard had said to Wickham, the pilot of the PRU mosquito, but if anything goes wrong, need you to keep an eye out because you're going to be filming this yeah you're going to have a better view of anything so he then gave the uh red daddy red uh code work to say that enough damage had been done and 21 came home without bombing for this time all the french um resistance and political prisoners were escaping across the frozen fields in direction obviously a few lost their lives and yeah. that's unfortunate but that's uh the raid went down in the history, yeah. you know. Yeah, and I guess those ones who died were going to die anyway at some point. It's believed so. I mean, not that any executions had ever taken place at that particular prison, but at the Citadel in Amiens, which was the main Gestapo place, they probably would have gone there to be executed. Yeah. Um, like I say, there's a lot of conjecture around it. Nobody really knows for sure what goes on. There's been some... Brilliant books written about it. There's been some duff books written about it, you know. And I've, I think I've got everything written on it. And yeah. on, there's about two books that actually tell the story. The later one by Dr. Ducellia, a French historian. I think he wrote, spent about 20 years writing this book. And he has researched it so much. I mean, like, he, he says a lot of the French resistance didn't know what was going on. They weren't warned. Okay. But somebody knew about it. Somebody knew it was happening. You know, it's, it's all up in the air. Nobody really knows. And I think it, is, it would be one of those mysteries that will never, ever get solved. Yeah. So it's not likely to be one of those things that eventually, after 100 years, the papers will come out? No, the papers are out. Oh, the papers were released in 1977. Okay, and they still don't they tell still you. don't yeah. tell you anything. Yeah. Of course, um, Dick Sampson was lost. Yes. Yes, right. from my hometown of Cambridge. Um, yeah, and uh, he was the the fourth of the. There, there was the um, the fighter pilot, the mm -hmm. um, typhoon pilot yeah. was lost, and then uh, Picard and Broadly, and then Dick Sampson was in the uh, four six four squadron yeah. mosquito with uh, Ian, Ian McRitchie. Ian McRitchie, yeah. Mm. Um, they was exiting the target area, and because Richie was taken prisoner of war, so after the war he, he told his piece to the big. It was a big inquiry in 1945 into the raid. It was it was investigated. Uh, office RF officers went to Amiens and recorded damage to the prison. They interviewed French people. They found graves. They found sites. They found crash sites, and so they had to get a picture of the whole story. Um, but Dick, unfortunately, um, and Ian McRitchie, was exiting the target area uh, towards the southwest, and they come across a small hill, 
And on top of the hill was a, 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 either a double or quadruple cannon mount, which started firing at the Mosquito. Right. Uh, Ian McRitchie said like he just stuck the nose down a bit and opened up with the 20 millimeter cannons and the 303s. But one round actually entered the cockpit and struck Dick Sampson in the chest, the 20 millimeter cannon round, which ended his life. McRitchie right. uh, immediately bellied in on the field and um, was taken prisoner. The aircraft was more or less intact. Um, and Dick Nell is in a grave, uh, a little churchyard 25 kilometres to the southwest of uh, of uh, Amiens at a little place called uh, Pointe de Picardie or Picardie. Um, it's quite apt. Yeah, it is. Uh, little, <laughs> and, a, and a little church called St. Denis, which is also <laughs> kind of weird. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so I, I went there. I've been there twice now and always put some sort of token at his grave. Yeah. Uh, because everyone talks about the raid and, you know, everyone forgets the typhoon pilot and everyone forgets Dick. Yeah. You know, and it's lucky I've, I've, I've managed to sort of get in touch with Jenny Boone, yes. his niece, and we built up a rapport which she sent me lots of information and stuff. I ended up writing a little article for a magazine which got published and... And it so it does a little thing, and every, every every anniversary of the raid, I do try and put a little cross up kind of thing on behalf of Jenny, and you know, just to yeah. say like, you know, he's not forgotten. Yeah. You know, we're coming up this February to the 80th anniversary of the raid, but on the 70th, we had a bit of a um, special event for the Wings Over New Zealand show because we did the first international show I've ever done, and that was. Uh, you recorded here uh, at Hunston um, with the ceremony that was uh, marking the 70th anniversary, and there was quite a gathering here yes, of people. Yeah. And you had a, a hurricane fly over and in one seven four markings as well, right. also which was the markings of the Typhoon Squadron down yes. you know, for escort. Yeah, absolutely. So. And then uh, uh, in uh, Amion itself, you had set up a. a a reporter there, I guess. Well, that was down to Tom Allen, who's now Flypast uh, magazine editor. Tom Tom was interested in what was going on, and uh, he had his team at Amions yep. um, doing their thing. We was doing ours. Yeah, and, and in and in New Zealand, we were doing something in Cambridge with Jenny Boone and uh, her family and and the local um, veterans and RSA people and. Um, at the cenotaph, where uh, Richard yeah. Webb Sampson, his name is on mm. there, uh, Dick Sampson, he he and his brother, mm. um, they were both in the air force, um, and uh, yeah, we we recorded a little uh, ceremony there, and I put all that together, and um, that was our first international mm. uh, episode I ever did, and I think it came together really really well. Yeah, I mean, considering nothing was going to be done, was it, Jim? Yeah. No. Nothing yeah. was going to be done. The RAF said, no, not marking it at all, you know. And we thought, well, the 70th anniversary is something really, something should be done, Yeah. you know. So, yeah, we we done our bit. We did. Just and keep it. you can still listen to that. It's still in the archive. Yeah. And, and you can go back and have a listen. So. Yeah, I've done several times. So, uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, it's good. Because if powers of the internet to get something recorded... 
and about two hours after it was recorded, it was in your hands in New Zealand. Exactly, and I think um, it wasn't that many more hours afterwards that I had it all edited together and out on, on, on the internet for people to listen to. It was only the next day, I think. So. Yeah. yeah. Let's see what we can do next time. Yeah, well, we've got the 80th coming up. We'll have to see. Yeah. Well, there is something in the pipeline for that. Not, not quite a service or anything like that, but I'm in contact with uh, Susan Sedgbeer, who's, um, whose uncle was Cecil Dunlop, who was Max Sparks' navigator. Yeah. Um, her and I are working on um, a, a, a presentation for the Hertfordshire uh, Aviation uh, Society and she wants to go along and talk about all of her three uncles because they all served in the RAF, two in Bomber Command and, uh, and obviously um, Cecil with his involvement with 140 Wing with Mosquitoes. Yeah. Um, yeah, personal stuff about all three brothers, personal stuff about her uncle, his involvement and the, and the, and the people who... Um, claim to have been involved along the way who we've since found it but well, I'm not going to spoil that for you it's yeah. a little, little twist on the end of the tale okay um, yeah so you see we're hoping to do something like that for the 80th and, and she would like it recorded so yeah. you know well we look forward to that that will be in your hands as soon as it's available thank you thank you and of course um, 487 Squadron moved on from here where did they go next uh, didn't they go to back to Norfolk? Because then they became part of this. Uh, it was the attack on Shellhausen, wasn't it? There was Copenhagen. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which the film recently yeah. came out about. I believe um, there was a book written, which is very hard to get now, called the um, the Gestapo Hunters. Mostly four six fours involvement in in the wing. Right. But they had this reputation for. Because they attacked the prison at Amiens, yep. so then subsequent raids were flown uh, to Copenhagen. Was one of them our house? Was it yes. for the other? Yep. Um, which was uh, high-profile raids hitting the Gestapo where it hurt. Um, but they they went back to Norfolk for that from bases in Norfolk. So. You know, we, our heads are too full of Unston to yeah. follow yeah, on. Exactly. Yeah. I know they. I mean, they moved in from Skullfort, but then yeah, they went to Formany Island for a little while, didn't they? But then they went back, and I think it was Little Snoring. I think in Norfolk, I'm pretty sure it was Little Snoring. Mm -hmm. I may be wrong. The memory's not as good as it was, but um, I'm, afraid, I'm, I'm afraid to say I can't remember myself. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I know, we, we talk about these things, yeah. don't we? and we yeah. haven't been involved with it so much, but, um, yeah. yeah. But, no, no, there you go. So. Yeah, and this place closed when? It closed, literally, back in May 1945, didn't it? Almost yeah. four years today it opened. It became okay. a uh, care and maintenance. Yep. Quite sure what that is. Well, it was a winding down, it was clearing yeah. up stuff, getting rid yeah. of stuff. Yeah. Pits were dug, equipment was dumped, good equipment went out the, out the front gates, you yeah. know, trucked off to somewhere else. But other stuff was destroyed, buried, buildings swept out, cleaned out. I was actually at a talk at um, Bentley Priory a few months ago, and there was uh, the historian for 611 Squadron. Because the last squadrons flying out of here at Anderson was... Um, 
what they called the Hunsdon Wing, and that was made up of uh, a pair of Mustang squadrons and a Spitfire squadron. Okay. Um, led by a Norwegian guy whose name escapes me, but Werner, Werner Christie. Werner Christie, that's it. Yeah. 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 Uh, they when they left the airfield, apparently he'd come up with this little tale right at the end that uh, they flew out. There was the last flying unit in here, operational flying unit. The airfield went to care and maintenance, but sitting in the main hangar, the one and only main aircraft hangar, was a Mustang. Right. Because it had got... In the bottom of the cockpit floor somewhere was a multi-point connector, which had corroded, and the aircraft, they wouldn't start, so they left it behind, yep. thinking it was going to be recovered. But then after two or three weeks, now there was nobody at all on the airfield. The yep. airfield was now shut. And sitting in there, in the hangar, was still a Mustang. Wow. And he said that they knew this aircraft was there. It was on Charger Squadron. And they said, well, you know, we know what's wrong with it. But so they flew down. There's three of them flew down in a... a an Oxford or something. Yeah. And they circled the airfield. There's no flying control. The airfield, the ends of the runway's got big white X's painted on them, disused. Yeah. Nobody in flying control, no windsock. They didn't know what direction the wind was coming from. So they just elected to land and use the length of the main runway. And these two pilots who came down, um, pilot and a uh, uh, they, they, they changed this multi-point connector themselves in the aircraft right. and managed to get it started and flew it out. But okay. there wasn't a soul on the, the place. Wow. The aircraft was just here on its own. And I thought it was such a... Mm. <laughs> it, was, it was probably the last flight ever took place out of Hunsdon was that aircraft, like mm. three weeks after everyone else had disappeared. Wow, it must have been kind of eerie, I think, with yeah. no one around. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I think it was. Yeah. So shall we go and have a look at the memorial? Yeah, we will yeah, do. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. I'm going to process a lot of the airmen. Was it after the war? Was yeah, a lot, of, a lot of the camps in the outline, eh? they was full of um, like Polish, uh, displaced Polish people, weren't they, living in the on Sawbridge Affair field especially, that was over there weren't they? Yeah. But a lot of the camps here were used like, for temporary accommodation, people yeah. hadn't got houses yeah. and they yeah. just moved in, right. these lovely huts to use and yeah. some were there for quite a few years afterwards before the farmers cleared cleared yeah. them camps and got their fields back again. Like, yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. So it's yeah. Uh, you know, a lot of little bits and pieces went on. Didn't yeah, it? a friend of mine, he was born on Forum. All right. He's on his birth certificate. He's got like the hut number. He was born. Oh, yeah. Born there. Yeah, that's that's totally gone now. It's yeah, yeah. Quarry, wasn't it? I was showing Dave yeah. on there last night. Mm. All the Elmer all the bases. Yeah. Riven all. Yeah. I told him about so Riven. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that that sigh as we yeah closed that door. It's very old, isn't it? Come from no the other side of the door. Nobody in there, no. But you heard the other side of that door. Yeah. We was on our hands and knees, so we shut the door. <laughs> we just put the back out under the undergrowth, and you heard this. <sighs> and I thought, what the heck? And then the, like, the photo, yeah. you said, you've got to look at this 
photo. It's so David. It's oh, weird, isn't it? It is weird. Yeah. It's very weird. It's There's quite a few paranormal investigations over there. Okay. Especially in the old ops block. Mm. Mm. People have heard and seen things. Yeah. Uh, we definitely heard something. Yeah, yeah we did. <laughs> and yet, yeah, I always say these airfields haunted. Yeah. Yeah. Jim and I have spent so much time here, but there is one place on here what just makes you, you always got to sense somebody's watching you, mm. Tuck spring wood over the back. Yeah. It? Why? Yeah. Don't know. Okay. I just that is the only thing that took place over there. Well, that wheel killed that airman, wasn't it? What came off of that? Havoc when it was landing. Main wheel came off, didn't it? Was it? Uh, was it an accident involved? Yeah, a couple of prop accidents. Yeah, a couple of prop. I can't remember getting something wrong. I'm not sure. Into the props. Yeah, maybe that was over there. Yeah, well, that was. I mean, we had a paranormal society came up here, and they wanted to spend the night by the memorial. I said, "Yeah, you see, I've been up here all night long myself. Like, you know, sometimes I've even come here. I've not been able to sleep. I said to Sharon, I'm going out for a walk. Where are you going? I'm going to have runs. She says, "It's ten to midnight. It's all right." And I've walked all over here. The only people I've frightened was a couple of poachers. Because <laughs> I'm just sort of standing there and I'm going to hear somebody walking down the track and they've gone past with a double barrel shotgun, right? You know, but you ain't up to no good, like. Yeah. Evening, mate. <laughs> what was it? <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ, mate. What the bloody hell are you doing over here? <laughs> but you can go all over here, don't feel nothing. No, it's nothing. You go near Tuck Spring Wood. Yeah. That's all it is. It's always that sense of being yeah. watched. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I read it's a farm with his shotgun. Good jump, yeah. Jim. Jim, <laughs> take It's not so bad as it used to be. I think they did fill in a few little bits and pieces. Yep. Reminds you some of the roads in England are probably worse. It's definitely a fascinating airfield. I can see why you guys are so in, in, interested in the history. Yeah. So many different types of flying out of here. Yeah, it was. Yeah, the current and some of the, uh, the turbine light. Yep. Right, enough, Dennis told you about them. Yeah, he mentioned it. Yeah, flying searchlights. Which were, um, I think they were, I think they only had one success at all the times they operated. Yeah, I don't think they were very successful at all, were they, those no. things? Yes, yeah, just built recently that house. Uh, okay. Uh, yeah, none of these. Okay, so that's the one that's in the background of that. Yeah, part. I think that's the one, yeah. Okay. You've got all the dispersed sites as well. Yes. And yeah, thought yep. it was about um, nine. There's a pond down there, the one Dennis said about. Dumped a load of ammo in there. Oh, right, yep, yep. Yeah. 
So these buildings over here, are they part of the airfield or are they later? Or? Um, no, that's a later one, that yeah. one in front of us. The one behind it is part of the Lodge Dennis. Oh, yes. So what we've really got left here is the parachute stores. Yeah. Um, there's a couple of buildings in the woods there, and there's two sleeping shelters in the woods over the back there. Okay. When I first I started coming here in the 80s, so there's still a few buildings dotted about, but they all yeah. gradually went. It's a shame, really. Yeah. It's kind of funny how Britain keeps all of its old buildings that look like they're falling down from the 15th century and that sort of thing, and yet. The stuff that's from a really historic period is all just being yeah. bold. Yeah, that's right. There's a lot of pillboxes about. Yep. Um, oh, yep. There's a uh, sleeping shelter. There's a couple. It's called a mushroom oh, yes. pillbox down there. Yep. You want to have a look? Yeah. Or do you want to have a look at the patch on the way back? Maybe on the way back. Yeah. Yeah, we're going to the yeah so that's uh, Oh, yeah. That's, uh, not so easy to knock down the pillbox. Yeah. Yeah, you can see them. Yep. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. One's called a Stanton shelter. Okay. They're called a mushroom pillbox. Yeah, so that's, that's a modern. Yeah. That's part of the old farmhouse that used to be here. Yep. So that would have been here in wartime. Yeah, that would have been, yeah. Okay. Um, just where all this pile of stuff in. It was, a, it was the one big hangar that was over hundreds of the Bellman hangar. Yeah. That was under there somewhere. So the base is still down there. Okay. Still there. Yeah, that's the, that's the parachute stores there. There's um, talk of uh, demolishing it a few years ago, but thankfully I didn't. Good. That's where I used to fold, fold all the parachutes and hang yep. them up. To, you know. Yep, that was part so of my trade in the Air Force. Was it? Yeah, yeah. alright, yeah. All so yep. the hooks are still up at the ceiling. So okay. That um, stand is yeah. underneath there's the fire tender shelter. Okay. And the control tower was just by where that tree is there. Yep. That's where the control tower was. Okay. I use it for uh, shooting now, play pigeon shooting. Oh, right. This would have been all the dispersals around here. Rangers. Yes. Loads of concrete. Oh, 
like to hear the lorries coming around. I'm not part of you in a puddle. <laughs> yeah. Wasn't it? Yeah, that's right. So this is the outside edge, and the, what what they've got their mowed grass area on is probably representative of the runway going down on there. Right. Okay. Uh, yeah. So this is, these are our efforts. Overgrown. Yeah, I know. Actually, we haven't been up here for a while to clean it up, but do rely on the lads here to cut the grass and everything. It looks a bit of a mess now. They normally keep the grass clear and trim all this down for us, but that ain't happening. Um, it does get new reeds every year. <laughs> yeah, we come and give it a paint. It's probably due for a paint, Jim, isn't it? So it's it there. So, it's yeah, it's a stone chip. Somebody threw something at it. That's what you got to put up with. But it's been here all these years, haven't got vandalised though. museum that was the other problem. Okay. They had the one with the place. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Stolen. Stolen. Yeah. <laughs> right top of that. Right. We had to put the spikes on top because there was a, a kestrel used to sit on top of there and poop all down it after <laughs> he'd eaten a few <laughs> voles and whatever, like, forever cleaning poop off the face of it. Like, never even envisaged doing that when you build things, do you? <laughs> yeah, so, Nick. So there's uh, there's a few New Zealanders here on the list. Yeah. Oh, that's uh, yeah, well, Hugh Baird. He was from Cambridge as well. Yeah, he was. I'd forgotten that he was in 487. So we've got Flight Sergeant Hugh Baird. We've got Pilot Officer K. Russell. Hindman. Hindman, yeah. Flight Sergeant J. Hindman. Obviously, Dick, Dick Sampson. Sampson. Dick Sampson, of course. Yeah. Payne, Payne and McMillan. McMillan. That was a crew, wasn't it? Yeah, they were a crew. Uh, Barrable. Yeah. Well, I don't know. Hey, Browns. Brown over here. Yeah, Brown, Brown over there. That's it, yeah. Yeah. And McVeigh there, I've missed yeah, him. It was Hedgecar and Bamp for that crew I told you about. You know, flew in on New Year's Eve and dead on New Year's Day. Yeah, you know, so really seasoned crew as well. Yeah, uh, DFC and Bar, both of them. Yeah, yeah. That's me. Yeah, well, well done on putting this together, this memorial. It's, um, it's been a few years now, it doesn't want a good clean up, but we've done it all last year and it was all cleaned up. But it's like, so if you're open to the elements here, that's the trouble. Yeah. And we you get in the summer as lorries going past here all day long like chipping in that dump over there like and yeah. crushed concrete coming out and it's dust and it's abrasive and we had accident damage there's a storm up here and one of the aircraft got blown into this. Oh wow. Gouged a, a chunk out of the corner of this down here. 
Okay. Um, I bet that didn't do much for the egg. Cracked the something it, 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 it seeded. Oh yeah. 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 I think it was the tip of the prop. I think what done that. Okay. They actually put a mark up here, but it, it cleaned out. You've got a bit of cuttlefish bone, and it cleans cuttlefish oh, right. bone, cleans granite. Wow, interesting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I've got, a, I've got a big safari cuttlefish bone at home. Yeah, when we were digging it out, we had the width for the Perry track to come out to about here. Yeah, yep. And as we were digging down, we, we found wires. Where the original thick um, copper cable, I mean, fixed like, where the ferry track lighting would have been. Okay, and that was one we had from found over there, so we decided to put that in. Right. That's probably where it about where it probably was. Where, yeah. where, probably where it was, it was with the stoplights. So I told you, red, yeah, stop yeah, prior to an active runway. See, so yeah, interesting. interesting. Was it blue on the inside? Yeah, blue, amber on the outside. Yeah. yeah. So you could orientate yourself when you was taxiing at night yep. by keeping the blue to the right or the amber to the left, whatever. Did the actual runways have lights along them? Yeah. It's all DREM lighting. Yep. So it's all part of the DREM system. And uh, you had like C2s, C3s, C5s. So you had a long one, which would be probably set in a piece of concrete, but it'd be twice the length it would be like that yep. all it'll have is two slits at one end and two at the other okay and there'll be two lamp units in there well the idea of the DREM system is it can only be seen from a certain height when you're in the circuit okay when you're flying over the top they're non-existent right when you're at the right height for the circuit you can see the lights right okay so they'd all be down you have threshold lights which are big domed lights and there's five of them across the threshold of the runway and then you add bars, so you add like 800 bar and then 1600 bar. And like if you've gone past the second one, you go around again because you're never going to stop at the end. So okay. you add your, your bars lights across as yeah. well. And then you add the, the flare path lights, which are every 25 yards down the runway, and then every 50 yards, you add one of them around the pair of these either side of the perimeter track, you know, all the way around. Right. So all that copper cable. It's still in the ground all the way around here in this airfield. You probably uh, a depth of about that, so it's well below the plough soil. Okay, yeah. So it just come up, a couple of spurs have come up yep. into the lights. All transformer pits in the ground, so like they do, you had the main current coming through and then into the transformer and off to power the lights. Wow, you know, so. Then you had the totem poles and everything else for your exterior, you know, sort of right up the end. We found a pit up there, didn't we? Mm. The end of that track where the totem poles were, which yep. is the you know, main approach lights. Yeah. And were they angled so you can only see them? From yeah, the yeah. Again, everything as well? was, you couldn't see anything if you was above. All right, Kel. All right. All right, mate. Yeah, you're looking busy. Yeah, nice to see you again, mate. This is our friend Dave Homewood from New Zealand, who's a historian. Oh, okay. Good day. Nice to meet you. That's Mr. Jim, Hi. Jim Cosbrand, that's oh, the other right. member of our group. Alright, oh, oh, yeah. okay. Uh, yeah, all very interesting. Yeah. Knows your stuff, this bloke. Sure does, both oh, of them does. does. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah, so you come to a, a relative? No, no, no I'm, I'm a historian and I've got a podcast. So I'm, I've been going around for five weeks around Britain to all the different uh, museums and airfields and all sorts of aviation sites. and. 
this is one that I wanted to come to because the New Zealand squadron 487 flew from here. So. Yeah. And I and I knew uh, Dennis and Jim, and I knew that they'd give me a good tour. So. <laughs> Not yeah. the full tour, that'll take about six hours, oh, won't yeah. you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but just a, there's plenty to see. My um, mother-in-law, she's 87 or something, she was uh, a young girl when uh, all the pilots were here, and she okay. lived in uh, Stansted Abbots, and uh, some of the pilots would go and have, like, Sunday tea with them, Yeah, yeah. and they would go down there and... Uh, be friends with the uh, families and that. Right. But, um, I keep meaning to bring her up to yeah, it so Dennis no. can uh, talk. But she, uh, she's she been telling us, oh yeah, there's a searchlight that used to be over there and this used to be over there and a tower was there. Yeah. And uh, she knows a lot of information mm. here. Yeah. And uh, Well, there was one lady called Bunty Anderson. And she came, she was a well-known character in the village, wasn't she? Quite a well-to-do family she came from. And uh, she used to drive a naffy wagon. Okay. Hmm. But she had a boyfriend, didn't she? A pilot. Well, they, they yeah, they uh, did her sister, but Barbara's, Barbara's he sister, took her in a mosquito over France one night. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> she never said anything about it, did she? No. no. Wow. Um, she said, like, didn't want to get, get, get into trouble, and she kept quiet about it, but she, she let that one go at the, 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 the wasp wow. didn't she? But, I mean, to think of a civilian girl flying in the navigator yeah. seat of a mosquito over, yeah. before, you know, that was one hell of a chance to take. Yeah. Definitely. You know, Definitely. I'd love to know who she flew with, you know, who it was she went with. I know, I know Barbara, uh, the mother-in-law, uh, her older sister used to go out with the pilots and, and mm. like I say, bring them back. Like, right. yeah. she was dating some of the pilots. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. Even I mean, look, I mean, 85 squadron here, group Captain Townsend. So, I don't, I don't he married know. Susan Paul from Whitford, next village up. Okay. That was his first wife. Yeah. Paddy Hemingway is the last remaining Battle of Britain pilot still alive. Yeah. Him, James Marshall and, and Paddy Hemingway were thick as thieves. Okay. Great mates. Had been fought through Battle of France together, Battle of Britain. Then they both get posted here on Avocs. And they formed another turbine-like squadron at West Maulin. Yeah. And James Marshall was acting squadron leader, and he went to take over command of it. But he was going out with... Um, I mean, uh, Townsend was engaged to Susan Paul, and the other daughter, he was going out with. Right. So he flew up here one day to see his girlfriend, so he's come up, I mean, yeah, he could just borrow an aircraft, he come come up in his turbine light, yeah. all his mates are here, he's spent a day here, he's gone over, seen his girlfriend, and he's left there, come back here, got on his aircraft, and he had a couple of uh, ground crew with him, and, a, a, and another pilot who was, you know, sitting in the other seat, yeah. um, and they... They took off, but they thought, just beat the else up. And they went over and beat the, the girlfriend's else up. Go round and round. Yeah. And they ever tightened in circles, and it just fell out of the sky and crashed right in front of the else. Oh, that was him killed. Gosh. But Susan... There he is there, right? Yeah, yeah that's three. That's yeah. three there. They were just passengers, weren't they? Yeah. yeah. Gosh. Yeah. yeah. Marshall, Beard and Alan. Yeah. And they died, you know... Needlessly for a stupid accident, yeah. you know, which is... And know, that happens so often. Oh, it really does. Yeah. 
Finances. Yeah. I think they claimed as many as combat, if not more sometimes. Especially amongst the Americans. Yeah. Americans lost so many crews over here. Yeah. The first one who died here, the aircraftsman, second class Gabriel, he, he um, walked into a propeller. Oh, right. So, obviously, these, most of these were on um, operational flights. Yeah. Kenry. Oh, that was an accident. Or just, just returning to Huntsman yeah. from a okay. you know, test flight. Yeah. Um, Denny's was a Belgian pilot. He, uh, they crashed an approach. Probably, I'm guessing, probably from this end. Mm. That was in a. Uh, that was Gilson Park one. Night, I think, was that, that Gilson Park one? No, that was that was a oh. different one. Yeah, but it's yeah, it's over that one. Wasn't it? Um, yeah, Scruffy Sanders. Lost in over the over the North Sea. Looks a bit like Terry Thomas, Scruffy Sanders. Okay. Yeah, big, and big yeah, moustache. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Woodgate and Norwich. They were in a turbine one. Took off from here. Yeah. Down the runway here. Took off, circled round. Crashed in the woods at Gilson. Windscreen ice. Yeah, the the misters were not working. Up. Yeah. Wow. Couldn't see where he was going. And you know, couldn't yeah. couldn't relate to the one of those things where you get brain fog, I suppose, isn't it? Yeah. Look at yeah. the instruments and yeah. Yeah. been at the wrong height, and they crashed at Golden Grove, which is a wood just um, just over the back in the dip over there. Okay. Yeah. Shoot again. There's another one. Yeah. Crashed in the woods there, and it Cook was another one. Walks into a propeller. Okay. So yeah, so a lot of these names are non-operational. Yeah. Gosh. Um, Fred, and, Fred and Barney. Yeah. Yeah, Blanchfield and Cox, they were. Uh, they collided with another mosquito, didn't they? Someone that's right. The, that's Not far from my house, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And what about the last one on the list in 1945? The Wrens. That was actually on the 10th of May. Two days after the war wow. finished, okay. that was, he was flying over to Norfolk somewhere. Went in somewhere. Yep. Yeah. Uh, and the, there's the extra name that you mentioned, and that's uh, LSE Grizel, yeah. uh, RF Regiment. How did RF he do it? Regiment. Uh, wasn't he the dispatch rider? He was a dispatch rider, yeah. He, okay. uh, he, he, skidded, he skidded on the ice on his motorbike. Right. So when, Originally, we intended to just put on RAF, if you like, RF, sort of crew members or ground crew. Yeah. Um, flying crew, yeah. Flying crew, yeah. yeah. But we had a this Grizel, his, um, his niece contacted me. <laughs> said, why isn't his name on the moon? <laughs> oh, right. Okay, so <coughs> right. Thought, yeah, well, yeah, perhaps we should have put it on. So yeah. we had this, this made up blackest... What is that stuff called Corian, isn't yeah, it? It's it's like what we like make an artificial um, granite. granite. Yeah. Well, it lasts well. Yeah, it does. Yeah. <coughs> so they've, like, we thought, well, if we come up with any more, we can add them yeah. easily yeah. enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, um, one thing that Dennis had told me, Jim, is that you have managed to find photos of almost all of these guys. Yeah. Which, which about, is quite incredible. We've got about 100 now. Yeah. So, yeah. That's. Internet, a lot of it, or well, most yeah. of it actually. Yeah, 
Yeah. And you're still looking for the others? I still look, yeah, every now yeah. and again I do a search. Yeah. You never know what's uh, what's going to come up. Are any of them the Kiwis? Um, where have you got all the Kiwis? Yeah, I've got all the Kiwis. Okay. Um, a few bad. Yep. So I might have pinched off my side. your side, maybe. <laughs> yeah, possibly. <laughs> <laughs> Poetic. That's what it's there for. Yeah. Uh, it's Ken, Kenneth Russell. Okay. Uh, he, was, he had a, an Aussie uh, navigator. Right. Um, and he was killed on a non-operational flight over to uh, Chipping Walden. Okay. I think he was uh, perhaps a bit too uh, cocky, so to say. The fly flew too low and the aircraft hit the ground. Yeah. They stuck and went to a hangar. Oh, right. That was before they'd even flown in any operational flights. Okay. So, not these sort of things Another. going on, you know. Pointless loss. Yep. We'll get a bit wet here in a minute. It's all right. Yeah, yeah. Small coming through. Yeah. Um, that was Heinemann. John Heinemann, or Jack, Jack Heinemann, as he was known. Yep. So, uh, yeah, he did 487. Yep. Um, so, a detail to uh, attack the target in northern France. Um, as they sort of flew off over the Sussex coast, um, the fog, thick fog, and then they crashed a place called Bilsham Corner. Okay. Killed both the crew. The bombs and the wreckage uh, hit it, hit some cottages nearby. It's killed a, an older chap and a, a young girl. Oh wow! So it's uh, yeah. very sad. Similar thing happened, I think, the next day. But, okay. Oh well, yeah. That's yeah, Jack Heinemann. There's a lot of these. Uh, there's a lot of detail on um, a website. Is the Auckland Memorial? Yes, yeah, well, Auckland War Memorial. Yeah, there's a lot of, a lot yeah. of stuff on there. Yeah. yeah. Uh, obviously, Dick Sampson. Yep. We've talked about him. We've got there. Uh, this is uh, Ray, Raymond Payne, John McMillan, four eight seven. Okay. Um. Yeah, they were on a, a, a night flying test. Uh, yeah, night flying test where they, where they before they went on an operation, they did obviously check the aircraft out, go for a flight. Yeah. They were flying um, near Nut Hampstead, yeah. which is another airfield, a US airfield in yeah, Park, US. Yeah. And the, the aircraft Mosquito broke up midair. Oh wow. God. And, uh, it, it almost sounds like the operations were actually safer than <laughs> yeah, to, to just being yeah. around Unstead. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So they uh, unfortunately died in that. Uh, another one here, Milk and Barrable. He had an Aussie, Aussie navigator as well. Yeah. Um, get my notes if I remember it. Yeah. They were on an operation to attack the V1 construction works in Dieppe. Okay. So they dropped their bombs headed for base and they were hit by ACAC. Uh, disabled one engine. And as they crossed the coast, come back, they were hit again by flak. Right. And uh, the aircraft ditched in the sea and again killed them both. Yeah. Those two. The last one was. Uh, Ronald Brown, 
here's with uh, 29 squadron um, they were on a night intruder to Germany um, we don't really know what happened to them. The plane obviously crashed with a shot down. Okay. Um, was that a mosquito too? That was a mosquito, yeah. 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 They couldn't find the graves again after the war, could they? No, so they commemorated on the runny meat memorial. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yep. The Germans look off and buried them, but nobody knows where they were buried. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so they're still out there somewhere. Unmarked graves. What a shame. Hmm. Hmm. Well, thank you very much. It's just been an absolute pleasure to come and see this place. And pleasure having you here with us, Dave. Great to see you. That was the Wings Over New Zealand show with Dave Homewood.